This idea of being away seems a slightly strange idea, doesn't it? The thing is, Jesus often, often uses metaphors. For example, he uses the idea of him, of him being bred from heaven. So when he says, I am the way, what is the way? Well, on the screen there, you can see there are two definitions. Uh, the way, a, a method, a style or manner of doing something, an optional or alternative form of action, and also a road, a track or a path for travelling along. So what we think of when we think of Jesus, in some ways, is, is a bit of both of these. Because Jesus is a method and an access to God. So why do we need to go through Jesus, though, to get to God? Why, why do we need Jesus to be this way? What I'd like to look at briefly this afternoon is how God has communicated with men and women, basically us, his creation, his children, in the past. I'd then like to look at the role that Jesus plays now, and ultimately I'd like to look at what that means to us. So let's start by going right back to the beginning of the Bible and to Genesis chapter 3. Well, nearly the beginning of the Bible, I should say. First book of the, uh, of the Bible, Genesis and chapter 3. Because what we see in these chapters is that God communicated directly with man. Chapter 3 and verse 8 of Genesis and I'm reading from the ESV this afternoon, but please read, choose uh, following whatever version you have in front of you. Verse 8 of chapter 3 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid himself from the presence of the Lord, uh, the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So what we see here is that God was walking in the garden. God was there with man. God, in the next verse, the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? So God and Adam were communicating directly with each other. What we then find is that after the fall, if we go down a, a bit further down the, the um, uh, chapter to chapter 17, we have what is sometimes referred to as the fall of man. This is effectively when um, uh, Adam and Eve uh, rebelled against God. They they did they they they, they sinned. Um, as a result, uh, they and people after them would die. So Genesis chapter three, uh, verse well verse fifteen, uh, we have this line: "I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head." Um, and you shall bruise his heel. But if we carry on to verse 17, this is what he said to Adam and Eve directly. Verse 17, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So God explains that because they sinned, because they rebelled against God, that 
they would die. They would return to the dust of the earth. But then what we read in verse 15 there was that this wasn't going to be a permanent state of affairs. Because in verse 15 it said uh, uh, that this, this, uh, this, this slightly enigmatic uh, expression about... Um, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So God is obviously talking about something which is yet to come. And, spoiler alert, someone was going to come along and turn it round. Somebody was going to come along and eradicate death and suffering. What that verse, it's a slightly strange English, but what that verse effectively is saying is that this person would incur a minor setback, this idea of the bruising of the heel, but ultimately he would have the major success, the blow to the head. So something was going to happen to him in the short term, but as a result of that, things will be turned around in the long term and death will be eradicated. So all the way back, there was this separation happened between man and God. But God always had a plan to how it would all come back together again. But from this point onwards, there is a distance between God and from man. From that point on, God did still talk to men, but not as often. There were only certain people that he, he spoke to, that he revealed himself to. So about 2,000 years later, we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 12. And if we just go over to there, we see God talking to the man Abraham. So Genesis chapter 12, reading at the beginning of the chapter. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him that <clears throat> who dishonours you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he spoke to to Abraham directly. There are other accounts where, he, where we see God speaking to him. And he spoke about his offspring. He talked about Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob in the first instance. We see that Abram's seed were the direct descendants of Abram. Effectively, they were his, his great-grandchildren. We had Isaac and then we had Jacob. And God changed Jacob's name to Israel and his descendants became known as the children of Israel and ultimately the nation of Israel, a nation which still exists even to this day. The next time that God really spoke to his people was via Moses. So again, another period of time has moved on. By this point, his people Israel are being held captive in Egypt, again, an ancient country that still exists today. And it was Moses' job to lead them out of the land. So if we just go over to the next book in our Bible, the book of Exodus and chapter 3, and we'll just read the first ten verses there. <coughs> now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, 
And he led his flock to the west of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, do not come near, and, sorry, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord God said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard the cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression which the, with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. The reason why God wanted a people was as an example to the world of who he was. He hoped that his people would be seen by other nations and want to worship him. The problem was that Israel were not that good an example. What God did do, though, was he set up a way, a way for his people to communicate with him. And he did it via a priest. In the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy and Numbers, we read about the priesthood, how sacrifices and prayers had to be made through the priests. So, and I'm glad to see most of you turned up already, Exodus chapter 29, we see an example of this way which God set up. Exodus chapter 29, and just a few verses down to verse 44. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So God set up this, this, this priesthood through Aaron, and again, he, he dwelled with them. He dwelled um, like in, the, in, the, in the, the, the tabernacle. But this priesthood, it, it was a bit laborious, and there was at least, but there was at least a, a structure, and it meant that God once again dwelled with them. Unfortunately, though, it didn't end well for Israel. They constantly rebelled against God, and did their own thing. There again, that's not surprising, as people 
have been doing their own thing since Adam, really. It's a very human tra trait. Adam and Eve did it. We do it today. Most of the world does it. We like to do what we like to do. We don't like to be told what we have to do. And Israel was no exception. We are very good at thinking that we are so clever that we can just do things on our own terms. Israel were not a good example, nor were they a good way for people to come to God. Back in Genesis 3, we read about God sending someone who would eradicate death, and as you've probably already guessed, this was Jesus. John is probably the most complex of all the Gospels and does take a bit of unpicking. God wanted Adam and Eve to be, a per to be perfect and love God the way he wanted them to. However, they had other ideas. He wanted Israel to be a perfect showcase for how believers and followers of God should behave. They also had other ideas. So God sent his son. If we just open our, uh, John's Gospel. John chapter 1. We read in verse 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. If we just pop down to verse 14. We then read and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So surely his Son would be the perfect example. Well, you would hope so, but that wasn't a given. God chose to have his Son via a human, Mary. So that made Jesus unique. He was the Son of God, but he was also the Son of Man. Now, we've already seen that man tends to want to do his own thing. So if Jesus gave into his human side, he could have sinned. But he didn't. He was that perfect example which God had been wanting people, the world, to see. So what about this idea about the word being made flesh? As I say, John's quite a complicated book and it takes a little bit of unpicking. But just turn please to Hebrews chapter 1 because we get a, an idea here in this, uh, in this letter to the Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 1, uh, we read, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in his last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name as he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The thing I want to pick up on that sentence there is it says he is the exact imprint of God's nature. In some versions, Jesus is referred to as the express 
image of the father. The Greek word is, uh, for image is the word character. And it's pretty much spelled like the way we would spell the word character when we talk about somebody's character. But it means image. And it means an engraving or an exact copy. The analogy is when coins are minted. The die used produces an exact copy of the metal that is stamped. So a die-cast mould makes the perfect impression of something. And that is exactly what Jesus was. He wasn't God himself. He was the perfect representation of what God wanted. Jesus was this perfect example that God wanted the world to see. However, man was not happy and didn't want to hear what he had to say. The Jews were particularly unhappy as far as they were concerned they were God's chosen people and as a result of this they crucified Jesus. And we can read about that in John chapter 19 just verses 6 and 7 when the chief priests and the officers saw him at Jesus they cried out crucify him crucify him Pilate said to them take him to yourselves and crucify him for I find no guilt in this man sorry yes sir. I find no um, no guilt in, in him the Jews answered him we have a law and according to that law he ought to die because he said he has made himself the son of God. Actually, he was the son of God, but the Jews were not happy, and so Jesus was crucified. But as I'm sure we all know, people only die because they sin. As we've just seen, Jesus didn't sin. He was perfect, and so he didn't stay dead for long. And as a result, he was raised on the third day. We can read that if we go over to Mark chapter 16. And just reading from verse 5. This is the disciples and entering the tomb they saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him and then if we go over to the book of Acts we then see what happened uh, after Jesus rose Acts chapter 1 and starting to read at verse 9 we read and when Jesus had said these things as they were looking on he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Man of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So what's this got to do with us? Well, if we think back to the promise in Genesis to the serpent, the minor setback was Jesus' death but he had the major victory over death. He beat death, but there again, he was perfect. And the thing is, 
We aren't. So surely what happened to Jesus couldn't apply to us, could it? Well, the good news is that it does. If we just go over to Romans and chapter 5, and we'll just pick up a couple of verses there. We read this connection between Adam and Jesus. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, who we've already read about, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. And then if we just pop down to verse 18. Oh no, sorry. No, let's continue reading that. Um, all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. If we do go down and look at verse 18, we see, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, i.e. Adam rebelling against, uh, against God, so one act of righteousness what Jesus went through, the fact he was crucified, leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. If we go back to the promises given to Abram, we see that all nations will be blessed, not just the descendants of his great-grandchildren. Remember we said about Israel came through the descendants of Abraham. We saw that one of the reasons why they, uh, the Jews crucified Jesus was because they thought, but we are God's chosen people. But that's not what was said back in Genesis. So if we just pop back just to refresh our, our memory of that, in Genesis chapter 12, it was... It was uh, it, God was very clear. He said, verse 2, And I will make of you a great nation, which was the nation of Israel. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonours you, I will curse. But it's this bit, and this is the important thing for us. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what Jesus offers is that escape route from death. Jesus was the perfect example, and so we should try and emulate him. His commandments were that we should change our ways, try and be more like him and do God's will, be baptised, to symbolise the washing away of our sin, and try to live a life more pleasing to God. Let's just go to the last chapter of Mark. Uh, the Gospel of Mark and Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16 and verses 14 to 16. Afterwards he, he <clears throat> appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, 
Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel of the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. The other wonderful thing is that if we fail, as I've said, none of us are perfect, the only person that was perfect was Jesus, but if we fail, we can ask for forgiveness. And this is then where the other aspect of the way comes in. We don't need priests like Israel had. We don't need to offer our prayers with incense like they did. We have direct communication with God via Jesus. He is now the way that we speak to God. As the Apostle Paul puts it when he wrote his letter to Timothy, so 1 Timothy and chapter 2, starting to read at verse 5. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So what do we get in return for all this? For all this trying to do God's will? Well, just as Jesus' death was temporary, so will ours be. We may die and be buried, but we are told that at the return of Jesus, we will be brought back to life just as he was, and if God wills, be rewarded with eternal life in the kingdom on earth. So we can see that Jesus isn't just the way in which we can talk to God. But because of his perfect life and his selfless sacrifice, he is the way to eternal life. The only remaining question is, do we want to be part of it? Thank you.